0: This really is such an important thing for us to understand about what it meant to have come to faith in Christ. There's a newness of life that that is implicit and is explicit in the gospel. Romans 6.4 began to talk about this. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we're learning about sanctification. We're learning about Christian holiness. Holy is a scary word. It was for me. I, I became a Christian at around the age of, I don't know, 18 or something like that. Holy seemed like only older people could be holy and people who went to church all the time could be holy. I didn't know exactly what a holy person was. I probably would have even thought that maybe Gandhi was holy or something when I was that age. But remember what holiness means. The word means set apart, right? Holy means, um, in the, in the broadest sense, it means Christian. Or it means believer. It means you belong to Christ. It means you've been born from above. Holy means you're distinct from the unholy. Right? Holy means you're God's people. And that needs to be contrasted with what you're not. For us to properly understand what holy means. It means you're not the world's people. Holiness puts the holy ones... The hagios is is the the, uh, original language word here. You're distinct from the world. Why? Because you're God's sons and daughters if you're God's sons and daughters. You're holy. You're different. You're set apart. And sanctification began when you died with Christ. And and the basic understanding of the gospel is, is that when the Lord Jesus is crucified, you are crucified with Him. And your sins are, are paid for on the cross. And so your union to Christ, your bondedness to Christ is why your sins have been atoned for. And so you died with Christ and you were buried with him in baptism. That's where Romans chapter 6 begins teaching you and I what sanctification is, what holiness is. And 6.4 says... If you are buried with Christ, then you are raised with Christ. Christ is raised by the Spirit. And you are raised with Christ. And then what does it say there in verse 4? What does it talk about being raised? As Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. You see how Paul is teaching you what holiness is begins in our minds and our understanding of who we are as individuals who have become bound to or who are in union with Christ. We have been raised and should walk in newness of life. So look with me at uh, uh, Romans 8.12. Newness of life. This happens by the Spirit, and so Romans eight twelve says, "Therefore, brethren, we are debtors to the Spirit, debtors to the Spirit." It says we're debtors not to the flesh, and he contrasts Spirit and flesh throughout this section of Romans. I don't know if any of you guys is buying a car or buying something on time. But that makes you a debtor to the bank, or it makes you a debtor to the person who put the money forth for you. You owe them. The the, the thing that you are using isn't completely yours yet. Now, that's not totally the same way it's used here in Romans. In in this sense, the justified, which are first introduced in Romans 3, justification by faith in Christ has given you the Spirit, you've been sealed. You've been made his. And that makes you a debtor. It makes you an ower. An ower. Not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. Why not? I'll insert there and then read verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Why are you debtors? Because you've been made sons. Because you're adopted. Because you've been given a mighty and powerful and loving Father. And by that very Spirit, you are able to cry out, Abba, Father. And I know I've said it so many times to you now since you and I have known each other, but I I went to Jerusalem in the 80s. And uh, I was in the inside the walled city of Jerusalem and there was a little girl there. Maybe her age. What's her name in the lighter colored dress? Justine. Justine. About Justine's age. This girl was standing there with her dad and the dad was wearing all black. So a very, very orthodox Jew with a little rings of, of, of hair on his side. His black hat, very austere, serious, scary looking man. And there was Justine or a girl just like Justine tugging on his coat. Abba, Abba. And he turned to her with affection and and, and tended to her need. It was so stirring to me to see this little kid calling her dad, daddy in downtown Jerusalem. It really helped me understand what that means. That God's spirit has been put into your hearts and mind. the, The mighty, terrifying, holy God become your father you've been adopted by this God and by his spirit he isn't austere and terrifying to you by God's spirit he has caused your heart to turn to him and rely on him to ask him for the things you need it's a very very sweet thing that's happened by the spirit of adoption By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And then it says in verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs of Christ, and indeed we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. The born again are sons who are led by the Spirit and they owe the Spirit. Following the Spirit, walking with the Spirit becomes... One of the main grounds of your Christian assurance, walking with the Spirit of God is one of the main ways you know your sons. Being led by the Spirit is is how you rightly claim God the Father as your father. It's how you have confidence to, to know your hope in eternal life is hope in eternal life. When you're being led by Him, it's, it's a great assurance. You're a Christian and that's brought out very strongly in the remainder of this chapter. If you are familiar with Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 ends speaking about our great assurance in how much God is for His children. How mighty is His strength and His power that is for His people. One of the phrases there in the last lines of Romans 8 is this, what can separate you from the love of God? And and if you read over that tonight, read over 6, 7, 8, get all the way to the end, and you realize the whole point of chapter 8 is to assure you of God's favor for you. To assure you that no matter what kind of persecution and hardship you are enduring, God's favor for you assures you of surviving it. It assures you of his strength and favor despite the hardship of persecution and suffering. And so being led by the Spirit is this great assurance for a Christian. It's a great object of Christian hope. Let me contrast that with you in Titus one sixteen. It's a great assurance because the sons of God walk in the steps of God, the daughters of God. You who have been born by the Spirit walk in the ways of God. Titus 1.16 gives this powerful contrast where it says, they profess to know God. So here's some, and there are numerous, tens of thousands of them in our day and always have been. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being of abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. You see, the new birth Those who have been born again have been born from, by, through the Word of God and the Spirit. And they're a new creature. They've been born from above. And they are contrasted with these ones here in Titus chapter 1. In other words, there are many who profess Christ. But you can very often tell they're not of Christ. Because they don't look like the Father. They don't look like the Son. They don't look like the Spirit. This is why being led by the Spirit is such a great assurance. You end up taking on the likeness of your God and your Father as you're led by the Spirit. Romans 7, 6 says, you were buried, you died with Christ, having died to what we were held by. What were we held by? Sin and death, the promise of death because of sin. But if you died with Christ, you died to what we were held by. That his sin no longer has a grip on you when you've died with Christ. So, having died to what we were held by, so we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. It's just saying the same thing. You see, if you die died with Christ to sin, it is so that we can serve. It is so that we can walk and live a life in the Spirit. In the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. I think I'm going to do a whole message on what it means on on how the law and how the spirit actually contrast with each other because I'm not sure it's entirely clear what that means because you and I I believe you know intuitively that there are some aspects of God's law that you must obey but I'm I'm still not sure you quite know why for example none of us are free to blaspheme none of us are free to lie or to murder we know that and yet, I believe there's always a suspicion in the last hundred years of Christianity that we, we we set the law aside. But do you remember how Romans chapter 8 begins? Rabbit trail alert. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Did you know there's a law in the spirit? The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. That's, that's a paradox there. We'll, we'll look at that in a couple weeks. But you have been given new life. You've been raised with Christ that we should serve in newness of the Spirit. Last week, we looked at the concept of spiritual life in terms of sowing and reaping. Do you remember that reference? It's in Galatians 6, 8. If you sow unto the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life. If you sow unto the flesh... You will reap death. Sowing and reaping is one of the ways that the New Testament speaks about what a Christian life is. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, one of the phrases, one of the pictures the Bible gives you is sowing and reaping. We spoke about the mind of Christ last week. How, how, how Christ Himself thinks and his mind is to be your mind. That's another way the New Testament is speaking about it. Of course, walking in the Spirit is a way the New Testament describes it. There's another aspect we're going to look at this morning. It's called put on and put off. A Christian has been taught to put on and to put off. So look at Colossians chapter three with me, if you would. Colossians three newness of the spirit must be put on listen to how the Christians in Colossae were taught about this so in Colossians chapter 3 from verse 5 he says therefore put to death your members which are on the earth so here's one of the members fornic- fornication put to death fornication Uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. This is the common state of of all men. If you've come to Christ, you should not be walking in any of these things. Come to Christ, verse 8. Now you yourselves are to put off all these. Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man. you get his argument there? Don't lie anymore. You've put off liar. Don't be angry anymore. You have put off angry. Don't covet anymore. You have put off covetous. There's another argument he makes in verse 6. Verse 6 is the, the, the conclusion of why, why you put to death these members. The first one having been fornication. Put that to death. Don't let these sinful ways remain in your life. And here's the argument. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. So for example, if if you walk in one of those things, fornication, anger, murder, if you walk in them oblivious or careless or numb to the fact that, this very thing is why the wrath of God is coming to the world we live in right now. This is the thing that God hates. This is the thing God must judge. It is so offensive to Him. So would you walk in it? Would you live in such a way that, that is bringing the very wrath of God? To the, would, would you actually, in essence, tell God it's not that big of a deal, God? I can walk in it. Jesus died for me. But it's for those very things that God's wrath comes on. That's the argument. This is an argument. Don't live like that because God is going to punish the whole world for this. Don't walk like that. Don't live like that. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed. Put off, put on. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Remember how frequently now we've been considering this idea of your knowledge, your mind, is where life is at. It's in your mind, it's in your knowledge. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So we have this idea that you learn to see with this pair of words where we are taking off the old, putting off the old, you are putting on the new. So this is another picture, this is another concept that helps us understand that, for example, the new, in some cases, is actually the person of Christ himself. Put on Christ is what it says sometimes, uh, Romans 13, 14. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new man. Who's the old man? Adam. Who's the new man? Christ. Put off the old, put on the new. Put on Christ. Put on the new man. Colossians 3, 12 and 14. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. So put on Christ, put on the new man, now put on his virtues. Put on his characteristics. Put on his ways and his manners. It says, put on tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Put them on but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So believing in the Lord Jesus, putting your faith in Christ for the righteousness of Christ began a newborn life. That was the beginning of the life. And when you walked through the the doors of the, what's that room called in the hospital where they have babies? (laughs) I forget what that, pediatrics or something like Lisa was a nurse in that department there in the hospital, remember? You're born into that place and you put off. You put off and you put on. You come into this place where you have a new life. Look at 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Right after the book of Hebrews, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Hebrews, James, Peter. Start at verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice. That's kind of like a vindictive anger. Laying aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking. Remember, it's because of these things the wrath of God is coming on the world, remember? This is carnalness. This is the old manness. Verse 2. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You should grow by this milk of God's word if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious go back to Colossians chapter 3 Colossians chapter 3 where it said have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge put on the new man what's new about him? knowledge renewed in knowledge knowledge He's been born from above, put on the new man, renewed in knowledge. If you have been born again, you change your mind about everything. You see that? Your knowledge is changed about everything. Be renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. The life in the Spirit, the, the Christian life, is put on, in a new image, in the image of him, there's a knowledge that makes up this image. There's a knowledge. What you know helps you understand what the image is that is put on. What's an image? It's a picture. An image is a form. It's something you can see. The the image comes by knowledge. What do you see about Christ? What do you know about Christ? What is the image of Christ? It is something to be seen. It is something to be put on. It has a form. Do you know Christ? Do you seek to know Christ so that you put on? You are renewed according to the knowledge of His image. I you know this is a little bit tricky to follow. Number one, I'm not the best communicator in the world. But number two, this is a little bit of a deeper subject in terms of how, what is the Christian life made of? How do you grow as a Christian? It's a deep thing. It's not a shallow thing. You must know Christ. You must know how he's been revealed to us so that you look like Christ, who is God and who is the Spirit. The mind is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of. is what it says there in Colossians 3:10. Renewed in knowledge according to the image of him. Is your mind being renewed? Is your person being renewed according to the image that is in Christ? Romans 8.11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Your flesh, the old man, has been crucified with Christ when you have come to faith in Christ. And the life you live is a life lived by the spirit. renewed in knowledge according to the image of Christ by the Spirit. He will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Life is for the sons of God. Life is for the sons of God. Look at 1 Timothy 5 6. Look at this very, very single little reference about life. 1 Timothy 5 6. By the Spirit, you're putting something to death. As many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons. By the Spirit, they put to death the deeds of the body so that the life of the Spirit can be there. Look at this verse here. Verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. It's speaking about widows and, and who, who real widows are, who the church is allowed to see as Widows, And it's speaking about a, a, a kind of a, a widow who doesn't qualify. She isn't seen by the church as, as a widow that the church can support. And it says, and she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. So the point I'm bringing into our teaching here right now is that there is this person who is living really a, a, a sensual life of some kind. They're just pursuing the pleasures of the world. So this particular widow isn't allowed to be included on the roles of the church. She's lived a worldly and carnal life. And so as the church is being taught who to to recognize and who to reach out to and who to, to serve in her widowhood, this isn't one. Why? She's dead while she lives. Why? She's carnal. She's worldly. She's fleshly. She's dead while she lives. This is this... Uh, ongoing example in the New Testament of those people who are dead but they're actually physically alive and so look at John 6.53 with me now John 6.53 Jesus said to them most assuredly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood you have no life in you See how the New Testament speaks about life In these very difficult spiritual terms Obviously you all know that the Bible doesn't teach cannibalism, right? It doesn't teach we're supposed to eat a person to to, to live Obviously the Lord Jesus was teaching a much deeper meaning When he says you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood Or you will have no life When we're reading about the widow in Timothy Why does she have no life in her? What what makes up her life? What has she been eating and drinking? She eats and drinks pleasure. She eats and drinks hedonism. She's into the life of this world. She is not into the life of Christ. She's not into the life of the church. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life. Life is by the Spirit. That's what Romans 8 is teaching. Life is by the Spirit. You walk by the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. You died to sin with Christ. You were buried with Christ, chapter 6. You died with Christ and were raised with a new spouse in Romans chapter 7. Death to self. Death to sin. Life to Christ. Life to the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. The carnal man has died. The spiritual man has new life in Christ. So you live by the Spirit or you walk by the Spirit. You sow by the Spirit. You put on Christ by the Spirit. You put off the world and and the world's ways, the world's carnality. And we live according to the image of the one who has purchased us. And the image looks like Christ. There's a picture, but it's not a picture on the wall. It's a life that's characterized by the the virtues of Christ. It's a life characterized even by the things that Christ hates. What does Christ hate? What does He not tolerate? What does He insist is true? That's the image of Christ. That's the image you are being formed into by your knowledge of Christ and by your knowledge of the gospel. Your tastes, the way you spend your time, what makes you angry should be formed and deepened and, and emboldened and strengthened by the person of Christ. That's what it means to be a person who's being formed in the image of Christ. The Spirit, the Spirit was given. To direct men to Christ. Remember when the Lord Jesus was teaching before he left. Before he was even crucified. In, in John chapter 14. Probably 13, 14, and 15. Or 14, 15, and 16. The Lord Jesus is teaching his followers about the Spirit. And what the Spirit would do when he came. They didn't know very much about the Spirit. So he spent a lot of time teaching them what to expect when the Spirit came. John 16:14 says, He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify the Lord Jesus. The the Holy Spirit will magnify. If, If the Holy Spirit could be a spotlight, the light would be shining on the Lord Jesus. And the work of the Spirit in your life is your growing and increasing knowledge and glorying in the Lord Jesus. You love and adore the Christ and His promises of life. Does the Spirit help you understand the gospel in the person of Christ? This is what the Spirit does. He will glorify the Lord Jesus, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit makes the Lord Jesus famous. There are some times you'll read in theology books, it says the Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. In other words, the Spirit is never exalting His own name. The Spirit is never making much of Himself. The Spirit is making much of Christ. It's a great truth. So look at Romans 8.13. Think about the Spirit and think about Christ's image. The Holy Spirit and Christ's image. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Remember fleshliness and dying we saw a little picture of with, with with, with the widow. In 1 Timothy 5. Or with the different pictures of carnalness that we've seen in, in these sermons. That 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds in the body, put off. By the Spirit, put off. You will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Those who are led have this great source of encouragement. This great source of, of hope and this great reservoir of life. Romans 8 is teaching about a strong assurance of salvation. And if God is for you, nobody can be against you. Sons of God have a spirit. And the Sons of God are following the spirit. That's this teaching. And he's beginning to assure them and reassure them that this is a joy and a confidence for them to know the Spirit and to have the Spirit and to deny the flesh and to walk with the Spirit. You see how the Spirit, if the Spirit leads you to put to death the deeds of the body, if the Spirit leads you to put to death the deeds of the flesh, whose deeds are seen? The deeds of the flesh are put off. If if the carnal days of the world are are put off, what's left to see? Christ. It brings glory to the Lord Jesus. When a person is walking by their faith in Christ, it magnifies Christ. But if we live according to the deeds of the world, it, it magnifies the world and shows we don't have an affection or even a belief in Christ. Paul spoke much here and in other places of how intimately the Christian life, we're, we're, we're getting real close to the end here, the Christian life, your life as a Christian is by definition wrapped up in you and your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And he gives a picture of this in the book of 2 Corinthians. The Spirit of God magnifies Christ in your eyes as a Christian. He changes your life as a Christian by showing you Christ and changing you into the image of Christ. So look at 2 Corinthians 3 from verse 5. And if you get lost in my explanation here, I would encourage you to raise your hand. And if I can, I'll, I'll try to make this clear to you. But it's important for us to understand what's being explained in this passage here. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse five. The apostle is saying, Our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And I do want to spend a little time speaking about the difference between the letter and the spirit, but that'll be in a couple weeks. So there is a real difference between following the letter and following the Spirit. And he's going to make a contrast here. He's going to teach here a very basic principle about how you will live the Christian life. And and maybe he will highlight how you don't understand how to live the Christian life just yet very well. But listen to how he builds this argument here. So at verse 7 he says, If the ministry of death Written and engraved on stones was glorious. What's the ministry of death on stones? Ten Commandments. And they are a ministry of death because if you know and if you believe the Ten Commandments, you know you must be condemned by them. That's why it's a ministry of death. He says, this ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious. God's holiness was made known to the men and women of Israel. The, the, the mountain was covered with a cloud and there was thunder and lightning and the presence of God was terrifying. It was glorious. Moses came down from the mountain with the stones and there had never been anything like that on earth. I promise you, it was an amazing time for the people of Israel to have seen that. It says it was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses. Because of the glory of his countenance, Moses' own personage was physically changed from having been in the presence of God to write the commandments on the stones. And this glory on Moses' face, this, this, this physical change about Moses was Passing, It wasn't a permanent thing. He had been in the presence of God. And our pe- passage says this glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit be not more glorious? How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So now Paul is going from the greatness of what was great under the old covenant. The people of God were given the law. They had this um, unequal exposure to God and then relationship to Him by Him sharing His law with them. A magnificent moment in in time. And then he shifts. You see how he's shipped in verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? And so he's going from great to greater. The ministry of the Spirit is not the same as the ministry of the coming of the law. Is what he's teaching us. Verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory... The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Now this, for you to get the depths of this phrase requires you to know some theology of what we've been studying. The gospel announcement in Romans is this. Now the righteousness of God is made available to you by faith in Christ. What was the ministry of death? You keep the law or die. Here is perfect righteousness. What is the ministry of the Spirit? What is the message of the new covenant? Trust and believe in the Lord Jesus and receive by grace all of this righteousness of God. The contrast could not be more stark, right? If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious, the law, had no glory in this respect. Because of the glory that excels, the the surpassing glory of the gospel of free righteousness by faith in Christ is so much greater. This incredibly noble and grand Accomplishment in the giving of the law is nothing in comparison. It's a zero. Truly amazing. Verse 11 For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. He's comparing his own boldness and speaking about the gospel with with the lack of boldness that he is going to indicate had had, had been Moses' lack of boldness. So in verse 13 it says, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, a little bit less boldness in Moses' case is what he's meaning there. He put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. So now we're getting back into big gospel truths here. Their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. So he he moves from this picture of the veil that was shielding the people of Israel from seeing the glory on Moses' face, it was shielded. And then he moves to saying there is a veil over the hearts of Israel now and they cannot see nor comprehend the glory of the gospel in Christ. They're blind to this glory is his point because he says the veil is taken away in Christ but even to this day when Moses is read a veil lies over their heart. nevertheless when one turns to the Lord the veil is taken away Now this applies to you and I and this is the this is the end message of this text we're reading here this is what I'm hoping you'll get I'm hoping to Help you understand. He says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. When one turns to the Lord, he says, the veil is taken away. And then he says, The Lord is the Spirit. It's because the Gospel is a triune Gospel. God is not the Son, is not the Spirit, and yet there are three persons who are one. And so when he says... Now the Lord is the Spirit. We're we're getting a picture of of, of both the the unity of and the distinction of the persons, these two persons in the Trinity. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face. Now there's a, a picture of conversion. You cannot have an unveiled face if you are not converted. You cannot behold the Lord Jesus if you are not converted. So try hard to stay with me here just for a moment. Here he says... We with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, or another word would be beholding as in a glass. In other words, we're able to see not the exact thing, but we're able to see a very good reflection of it. As we look with unveiled faces, you and I are beholding what? As in a glass. We're beholding what? As in a mirror. He says, we are beholding with the lifted veil the glory of the Lord. The gospel is the glory of the Lord. The new covenant truths of righteousness by faith are the glory of the Lord. Beholding this glory of the Lord, what happens? What does he say is taking place? We are transformed. This is a huge gospel truth. This is a huge truth of Christian life. How do you become more Christ-like? How do you become christian If I can put it this way, after conversion, if if you've been born again, it is truly your debt to walk in the Spirit and to bring glory to God by your faith in Christ. How do we live the Christian life? Behold the Lord. You behold the Lord Jesus. You behold the glory of the Lord. And then you are transformed. What does it say after that? Transformed? into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see how the Holy Spirit is transforming men and women who are beholding the Lord Jesus into more and more glorious Christians? You see how that happens? Beholding the Lord Jesus, you are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And this is the work of the Spirit. This is by the Spirit. This is what the Spirit is doing. As the Spirit is revealing the Lord Jesus to men and women, as you are looking to God's Word, as as you bring your own heart and life to the Word of God, in prayer, in serious reflection, in, in earnest effort to know the Lord Jesus, as you are beholding the Lord in His glory, you are transformed into this glory. And this becomes your assurance, even as Christians. Sons of God look like their father. Sons of God are image bearers of their father. We have been born again into the renewed image that is in Christ. And as you look like your father, as you are led by the Spirit, you have more and more ground by which you say, I know who my father is. I walk in my father's ways. I, I do my father's works. I think my father's thoughts. I love my father's loves. So I despise the things that my father despises. Do you see how that produces a genuine Christianity that loves God and loves holiness and, and isn't religious? You're religious because you, you, you're consistent, but you're not religious in, in a godless sense. It's truly a glorious picture. This is what is meant by sanctification. This is what is meant here in this teaching between Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. Spirit-led people look like the Lord Jesus, walk with the Lord Jesus, and have great assurance of of God's favor and provision for them in their lives. So here in the passage that we're looking at, as as Paul taught the Christians in, in Corinth, remember this and, 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 and put some work into understanding this passage in 7 Corinthians 3. One of the things you do as a Christian is spend quality time looking at the glory of the Lord Jesus. Beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus. In two weeks we'll, we'll look at this in a little bit of uh, detail so I can help you understand this some more. But this is Christian sanctification. This is how you learn to walk in the Spirit. This is how you prepare yourself to be more and more ready to meet the Lord in enjoy in the end of your days. It's by knowing this, this knowledge that is conforming you into the image of the Son. Let's just take a minute and pray together.